We're opening your Bible to the book of James, if you would, tonight. I was traveling back from uh, John Purdy's mother's funeral in uh, Roanoke on, uh, on Friday, and as I was driving down 460, I don't know what mile mark it is, but somewhere between Lynchburg and, and Roanoke, there is a, a big pipe, not big like a culvert, but, but probably about as big around as a, uh, as a Coke can, sticking out of the side of the, out of side of the mountain. And out of this pipe is coming spring water. And they, you know where it's at? Yeah, okay. Well, alright. When you, when, when I see, when I, when I saw that, that pipe coming out, it reminded me of my childhood in West Virginia. Those, those little pipes are everywhere in the mountains of, of West Virginia. And people would use them. We would, we would use them all the time. There's a natural spring in the hillside. And somewhere along the line, somebody got smart and decided rather than to try to, um, uh, dig through the leaves and, and the creek that was coming there, they would just drive a pipe back into the side of the mountain to catch the water so it would, it would spring out. And then you could just stick a jug under it or, uh, or, or otherwise. There are other times though when you would drive by, most of the time the pipe was just, was just flowing. Other times that you would drive by certain ones and, and the water would, would be stopped. And, uh, the water would still be in the hillside. It, it hadn't gone anywhere. The spring didn't dry up, but there was something that was, that was clogging the, the pipe. Something that was, that was wrong with the, uh, with, with the flow. The water no longer flowed freely. And I, I thought about that illustration whenever I, when I read when I read James, and comes to my mind when I when I read this passage we're going to look at tonight in in James, because James really tells us that that can happen in our lives with the Word, the refreshing truth of the of the Bible is is always there. It's always available to us. It's like that spring that's back in the hillside, um, but it's it's also possible. Uh, for it not to flow into our lives because it gets hindered in, in some ways. And so James is going to teach us tonight how to maintain our spiritual water lines. Um, I mean, the Bible is, is not optional for a Christian. It's imperative. It's your food. It's, it's, it's what causes spiritual growth. It's what you eat. Um, you, can, you can neglect the Bible for a period of time, but you will get very... Spiritually emaciated. Think of the illustration that we gave this morning about the missionary that didn't know how to, didn't know how to fix the femur. And so the beggar came with, and he was able to examine the guy who was just skin and bones because he didn't eat. That's what you look like spiritually if you neglect the, the Word of God. It is, it's vital. And it's there. And the power is there. But James tells us that you really have to maintain your spiritual water line so the truth of the Word can flow freely and, and, uh, and transform us. And if you sense a dullness in your quiet time, if, if you have trouble applying God's Word, maybe it even seems distant or unhelpful or unrelated to, to daily life, James would say the first place to look is, is inward. It doesn't... Say, look to see if the, if the spring's still there. He says, look to see if there's something wrong with the, 
with the with the water line. So if you're in that place or when you get in that place, because I think it's something that all Christians struggle with, dullness, being brought back to the Lord, the need to have your heart revived, then this passage in James will uh, will be will be helpful to you. James chapter one. James in in uh, uh, the first chapter has been speaking about since verse three about about trials and and temptations. And he, he tells us that famous verse: "Count it all joy, my brethren, when you when you enter into diverse temptations or various types of, of trials." Verse that you probably got memorized. James basically says to us as believers: trials come regardless of whether you're a Christian uh, or or not. But a believer sees everything differently. A believer is able to count it joy, the work of the trial in your life. Not the trial itself. Trials stink. I don't like them, just like you don't. But the work that they have in your life is good. And you can understand that. You can say, okay, this circumstance doesn't feel good, it's bad, but God will use it to make me more like Christ. Therefore, I can say I'm joyful about those two things, whenever they, they come together. An unbeliever doesn't do that. We're blessed whenever we endure trials. He says in, in verse 12, tells us earlier, if you need wisdom in the midst of those trials, you can ask for them. Verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation or trials, for when he has been approved, meaning when he makes it through, when, when he proves himself, be a person who endures and goes through the trial, he will receive a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who, who love him. Trials are a part of life. God will give you wisdom in the midst of trials. You're blessed whenever you endure trials. It's an evidence that you're a true believer. Enduring trials, persevering, the work of God in you that brings you unto the end, unto his eternal kingdom. Verse 13, he says, when trials come, let, we must take care not to blame God. Look at verse 13. Let no one say whenever he's, when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, neither does he tempt anyone. You gotta take care not to blame God whenever we're tempted to chafe against the trials. And we are to remember that the true source is our own flesh, our own heart. Verse 14, but, each of us is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust and entice. And then when, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when, when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. That's where true temptation comes from. Verse 16, Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father. What does God give? God gives good things. He's not the one who brings evil. He's the one who brings good. You want proof of that? Look at your salvation. That's what he says. Verse 17, Every good gift and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of light, lights in with whom there is no variation, no shadow of turning. I am, the, I am God, I change not. It's reminding us. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be the kind of first fruits of His creatures. You want proof that God is good and that He gives good gifts? Look at the gift of salvation. That's the ultimate evidence of how good God is. And now we've come upon our text for tonight. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. 
Therefore, lay aside all filthiness. An overflow of wickedness or superfluity of naughtiness, as the King James says, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. He goes on to say, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. James will say the ultimate key to successfully maneuvering through life, the ultimate key to, to thinking rightly about trials and having joy, the ultimate source of wisdom that God gives in the midst of trials, um, the way to endure trials, the, the place that teaches us and, and tells us that, that God is not the one who's bringing evil or temptation in our lives, but our own hearts, the place that, that you turn to go through trials and avoid temptation is the Word of God. Properly responding to God's Word is this new topic that he begins in verse 19. He keeps this idea of, of trial and temptation, and he begins to bring the Word in. James is going to show us that this powerful Word can be rendered ineffective in our lives, depending on how we approach it. The Word of God doesn't change. Its power is not lessened, our, but our ability to receive its work can be hindered by obstacles of our own doing. And so James is going to teach us how to prepare to receive God's Word so it can perform, perform its work in our, uh, in our lives. Now I want to show you very clearly from the text here that this is uh, all about the Word. Beginning in verse 19, goes all the way through verse 27. The topic is, is the Scriptures. It's receiving the Word of God. Look, if you would, at verse 18. It says, Of His own will He brought us forth by the Word of truth. He starts talking about the Scriptures there. The instrument by which God regenerates. The instrument, sword of the Spirit. The sword is the Word, right? And the Spirit wields the Word. Of His own will He brought us forth by the Word of truth. So He's talking about the Word of God there. That we may be kind of a first fruits of, of His creation or His creatures. So then, my beloved brethren... Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. As he approaches the Word, that's what he's saying. For the wrath of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Look at verse 21. He's talking about the Word again. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness, overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted Word. Look at verse 22. But be doers of the Word, and not hearers only. For anyone who is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is, a man, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. And when he observes himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, there's a, a synonym for the word, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this one is blessed in what he does. This whole section is about, is about the word. And the main idea of the section is found in verse 21. Look at verse 21. So the topic is the word, and here, in verse 21, you find the, the main idea. Therefore, receive 
the implanted Word. And all the other stuff around it tells you how to receive it, what to lay aside, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted Word. The verbs receive. Therefore receive, and what you're to receive is the, is the implanted Word. And you lay aside filthiness, and you approach the Word with meekness, but the idea there is you receive the implanted Word, and it is able to save your soul. So it says some things about it, about the Word, but the main idea there is to receive the Word. It's an imperative, and everything else around it helps us, it helps for us to accomplish that receiving of the, uh, of the, of the Word. Verse 18, he talks about salvation. Verse 21, it's able to save your souls. It's verse 18, it's, it's of His own will He brought us forth by the Word of truth. He brought us forth by the Word of truth. It's talking about being begotten from above or born again. And then in verse 21, he's talking about sanctification. It's able to save your souls. I'll show you how that's talking about sanctification in just a moment. So from regeneration to, to sanctification, from the beginning of the journey all the way through the journey, the Word is central. And it happens by receiving it. The Word works in our salvation, it also works in our sanctification. And between verse 18 and verse 22, he describes how we must approach it. So, I've just, uh, the outline I'll give you tonight is, is three helps to prepare you to receive the Word of God, or anybody for that matter. Three helps to prepare you to receive the Word of God. Hebrew says the Word of God is powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. The other places the Bible says it, it crushes the power of sin. But James implies that you can cut off its work in your own life if you fail to follow these helps. And the first help that James gives us is you must approach the Word properly. We're talking about preparing our hearts. We're talking about approaching the Word. The, the command that we have is to receive the Word the implanted Word. We're looking for helps in how to do that. And the first help he gives us is to approach the Word properly. Look back at verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. There's one thought there. Even though there are three infinitives that goes along with that thought. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. We must be swift to the hearing. We must be slow to the speaking. We must be slow to the resenting. First phrase that he gives there is, we must be swift to, to the hearing and approaching the Word of God. Now, the theme is the Word. So this idea of being swift to hear has to do with the Word. You're swift to hear the Word. Being swift to hear the Word means you approach the Bible with an eagerness to listen. If someone is swift to hear, quick to hear, how would you describe that person? That's somebody who would be eager to listen. You call out in a, into a crowd of, of people. If I would yell out your name, you... You would probably answer. 
There are times whenever you're paying attention. There are times when you're not paying attention. Here, it's the idea of approaching the Word, paying attention. It's, it's the attitude of the heart. It's, it's a person who's inclined to receive the Word. It's a person who comes to the Word with a sincere, eager desire to, to listen. Now think about how you approach your, your Bible reading. You're real practical. Think about how you approach sermon on Sunday morning, lesson from your Sunday school teacher, and hear what James says. You approach the Word in each of those cases eager to hear, inclined to receive. I mean, you might say it this way. You come, you come on expecting God to speak. You come wanting to hear. It's not a, the, all, you know, the, the proverbial saying that you come to the sermon or the teaching lesson saying, you know, go ahead, bless me, I dare you, right? It, it's you come, you're leaning in, you, you want to hear, you're, you're, you're listening. We said this morning that one of the things that amazes us about God and, and, and um, raises our affections for Him, increases our love when He answers prayer, is that we're blown away that God's ear is bent toward us. Man, God, God heard me. Is our ear inclined to hear the word of the Lord? That's what he's, that's what he's saying here. Be swift to the hearing, quick to, to hear. Come with, an empty bucket. Come with an empty bucket and not a hole in it. That's right. Tim Boyer said, uh, brought a microphone up to me tonight and then he was teasing Ashton was sitting beside me. He said, here's yours. And Ashton laughed and Tim said, Ashton doesn't need a microphone. And I said, hey man, he doesn't need a microphone, does he? In order to receive God's Word, one of the things that can hinder you from getting something out of a sermon, out of a teaching, out of your devotions, out of your Bible reading, is the way you approach the Word. I have a habit of whenever I read the Bible, when I go to the the Word, I just say a simple prayer. God, teach me something new today. Teach me something new. And it's, it's, of course, there's something new in the Bible. I mean, the, the, the Bible is alive. So I don't care how many times I've read the passage, it, it can transform me. There's something new for me to hear from it. But it's, that's not, you know, to remind God of that. It's to remind my own heart of that. There's something that, that I can gain from the, from the Scriptures. Hearing carries the idea of not just taking the information in our ears, but, but we want to hear it to obey it. I mean, you don't read the Bible as a Christian just to assimilate information. Being quick to, to the hearing, swift to the hearing, swift to hear. It's not just so you can garner biblical knowledge in your mind and, and, and spit it back out. I mean, when your mother said to you, did you hear me? She's not saying, did the, you know, the vibrations of my voice, you know, travel through the auditory system in your ears. She's saying, are you going to obey me? That's what she's saying. Be swift to hear is a person who's, who's inclined, inclining their ear that they want to hear what God has to say and they're intent on obeying it. That's their, that's their intentions. And you prepare your heart to do that. That's not a natural thing. The world draws us away in a lot of different places. Have, have you ever come to church distracted? <laughs> I've come to church to preach distracted. You have distractions everywhere. And you prepare your heart... You say, Lord, um, I'm swift to hear. I, I'm, I want to be ready to receive what, what, you, what you have today. 
we want to unleash the power of Scriptures in our lives, you approach the Bible ready to listen and intent on obeying it. And James, I think, begins with this point because if you're not willing to hear and you're not intent on obeying, you can't really go any further in the process, right? <laughs> he says in the Word is where we turn in trials to comfort us. You know, trials are good because trials force us to be intent to hear, be swift to hear. Boy, I tell you what, my ears are really perked up when I'm going through a difficulty. And when I'm fat, dumb, and happy, as they say, I'm, you know, okay. Yeah, I'll listen to what the Bible has to say. But I really want to know what God has to say about a difficulty whenever I'm going through a difficulty. The Word is where we look for wisdom whenever we like it. It's the source of deliverance from temptation. But if we're not willing to hear, all the quiet time schedules, devotional systems in the world won't matter. All the sermons in the world, no matter how great the preparation, how, how clearly it's illustrated, it won't matter. Here's where you start with your heart. He also says, not be swift to hear, but also slow to, to speaking. Swift to hear, slow to speak. What do you think it means when he's talking about slow to speak as you approach the Bible? What automatically comes to your mind? It's to approach the, the, the Bible with your hand laid over your mouth. Have you ever approached a passage that's, that's familiar or you just kind of read it and you go, oh yeah, I know what that means, and you just keep right on reading? Well, James is speaking to you and to me whenever I do that right now. He's saying, be, be slow to speak. He's saying you approach the Word to hear what God has to say, not what you already know about it. Does that make sense? He's talking about approaching the Word with, with, with presuppositions. It's approaching the Word with, with pre conceived understanding. Dr. Doran opened up our missions conference several years ago. The first time I ever had him here with the story of a man who was seeing a psychiatrist. And he was seeing a psychiatrist because he believed he was dead. And so the doctor thought he came up with a way to convince the man that he was alive. And the way he decided to do that was going to prick his finger and make him bleed because, you know, corpses don't bleed. And so he did that, pricked his finger... And the man bled, and the psychiatrist looked at him like, you know, see? And the man says, well, what do you know? Corpses do bleed. One of the greatest hindrances we have to hear the Word, the greatest hindrance of it working in our lives is we miss the message. We, we're mentally talking when we should be listening. We, you do that by thinking you already know what the Bible says before you even approach it. So, a matter of... So no matter what you read, you only hear yourself speak rather than rather than than God speak. You heard the old saying that God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. My wife said that to me times before. And James says, "Be slow to speak. Be slow to assume. Take your preconceived ideas and." And say, Lord, I, I think I know, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna set that aside, and, and I just, I want, I want to be slow to speak. I want to put my hand over my mouth. I want to hear what you have to say, as I approach this this passage. And you can't hear what God is saying if you're too busy listening to yourself. Um, it's really easy to do that whenever the Bible is telling us something contrary than what we want to hear, or when it's challenging. 
our, our understanding. Well, let's look at the third one here. Be swift to hear, slow to speak. And the third infinitive is, is slow to wrath. You've heard the different Greek words for anger. Uh, one word means to blow up. And another one means to seethe. It has the, it's the, the idea of like a, a bubbling cauldron, seething cauldron. Have you ever um, boiled uh, something thick? on a stove, like spaghetti sauce or something like that. And it's, it's cold whenever you start it, and, and it begins to warm up on the bottom, and then all of a sudden, bloop, you know what I mean? Is the idea, this, this, this word for anger here has the idea of seething, of, of uh, it's a seething resentment, a smoldering dislike. It's not blowing up, it's a... It's not an outburst. It's a seething resentment. And here it's used in context as a possible response to God's Word. Now I can understand how I can have seething resentment or smoldering dislike for another person. This says that you can respond that way to the Bible, to God's Word. So how how can that be? It's the idea when you approach the Bible at times you... Uh, the Bible says things that you really don't want to hear. And no matter how much you talk, God's voice still comes through and you hear something that you don't want to hear. And resentment, resistance can build up in, in your heart. James is warning against the reaction to dislike what the Bible says at times. And, and he says, be slow to resent what it says. Even when the Word of God wounds us, even when the Bible steps on our toes, even when God smacks us upside the head, don't resent the Scripture has to say. Train yourself not to be easily offended by the Bible. If you are, you're easily offended by the Bible, you'll be tempted, you'll be tempted to... To either skip over those passages or trim off the rough edges. And I've heard people use the Bible for some of the craziest things. You probably have too, right? I've seen people use the Bible to justify their own sin. And James is warning here against approaching the Bible to confirm your your own opinion rather than see what God says. And then, and then now, whenever. God contradicts your idea and you don't like it, you can turn toward resentment. The truth hurts sometimes, doesn't it? And yet it's a good wound. So James says when it does, don't get angry with God. He's doing His work of sanctification. Receive it with willingness. Because doing anything else will keep you from accomplishing the goal. Look at verse 20. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's connected to those... Those three statements. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. That that seething resentment doesn't produce righteousness of God. It's, It's an explanation of the end of verse 19. Arguing with God's Word or resenting what it says doesn't lead to righteousness. It doesn't lead to to growth. That's what he means. 
because it doesn't accomplish the goal of producing God's righteousness. Righteousness here is not what's imputed from Christ, but practical righteousness, sanctification, the growth in your life. That's what James is aiming for in his letter, what the Word of God does. But to release its work, you have to approach it properly. So it begins here with our approach. Incline your ear. Approach the Word properly. Lay your hand over your, the mouth of your mind. Be willing to hear the hard stuff as well as the easy stuff. And if you have your heart ready to do those three things, then you can move on to the next step. Second help that James gives is you must avoid hindrances thoroughly. Approach the Word properly. tells us how to do that. The goal is to produce the righteousness of God. You must avoid hindrances thoroughly. Clearing the way for the proper reception of the Word also includes putting off hindrances. Look at verse 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness, all moral filth, and the, the, the overflow or the evil that is so, that is so prevalent. The, the overflow of wickedness or superfluity. It's the idea of of something um, coming over the banks and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to to save your, your souls. So, the main idea here is receive the Word, but he talks about something that can hinder and something that you have to do. You, you lay aside those hindrances, and the hindrances here are, are filthiness and, and wickedness. Um... James gives us two potential hindrances that you have to deal with. And when he says to lay it aside, it's, it's to lay it off like a, like a garment. It's the same idea that Colossians gives where he talks about putting off the old man, putting on the, uh, the new man. Moral filth, rampant evil can creep into your lives. You know one of the reasons that the Word doesn't have the effect on our lives is because we're tainted by the world. We have a lot of filth. We, we don't lay that aside. I mean, if I think or you think that you can spend all week pumping your mind full of garbage on TV, and being around people, whether you, you're, you're attracted to them, you intentionally do that or not, but to be in the workplace or otherwise, and see all of this sex-crazed culture that we have, and hear all of this contrary antichrist philosophy that comes in, and you think that that will not affect you, and will not hinder you to hear what God has to say, you're nuts. <laughs> it will. You, you have an enemy. An enemy of your soul. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And it is a... It's a trifecta that, that you don't have the power to deal with. The Spirit of God has to deal with it. And yes, we, we want to be careful to understand what worldliness truly is. It's how we respond to the things around us. Those things may not even be evil in and of themselves. It's how our heart responds to them. Money is not evil. What is, what's evil? The love of it. It's how our heart responds to, to those things. 
the beauty of a, of a man or a woman can be the glory of God being reflected in them. Intimacy in marriage is something created by God and a good thing to be enjoyed. But if your heart responds wrongly to those things, they, they can be, be evil. But this clearly says, the Bible clearly warns us that you live in a wicked and perverse generation and it will have an effect on your heart and on your soul. Um, you probably can't do it anymore. I haven't tried to do it since probably, I don't know, 18 or so. But when I grew up, if you ran out of gas, ran out of gasoline for your motorcycle or your four-wheeler or whatever it is, you went to the garage and you got a big, long piece of garden hose. And what did you do with that garden hose? You stuffed it down in your mom or dad's gas tank and you begin to siphon gas. And you had to be quick, or you got a mouthful. Now, that's not smart. Kids don't try that at home, all right? And you'd get some gasoline, and we'd, we'd pour it in. And then mom or dad would get in the car, and they'd say, I just filled this up. What, where'd all my gasoline go? You can come to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night. You can be charged up. The great sermon, you can approach the Word to receive it properly. And then you can go immerse yourself in the world and a godless culture during the week. And it will be like a siphon hose and it will steal every bit of your joy. And it will just junk up your life, won't it? Really will. So you've got to be careful about the hindrances and remove them Them. Thoroughly. Moral filth, rampant evil can creep into our lives and hinder. So you, you throw it off. You, you, uh, you throw those things aside. It takes discernment to be able to, to work through some of those things. I've seen many believers slowly go down this road. I have slowly gone down this road. Start by simply not avoiding something and then not dealing with it, then not removing it. And soon they're smothered under a heavy coat of, of sin that weighs them down. And in some cases you can't even tell whether they're a believer or not. And James says, don't accept the, the tainting presence of the world, accept the, the transforming power of, of God's Word. Give me the third help. Third help James gives to prepare us to receive God's word is, is you accept its position entirely. Okay? Prepare to approach the word properly. It's an attitude of the heart. It's a perspective. You should do that before every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, devotion, Sunday school teaching, whatever it might be. You also, throughout your life, throughout every day, you, you avoid hindrances. You throw off those things. When you recognize that, that, the, that, that the world's begun to siphon off your, your spiritual gas tank, you, you throw those things off. Something creeps in and attaches itself to you. You know, kick it off. Um, and then you accept the position the word entirely. It has to do with the lordship of Christ. Verse 21, the end of it. Therefore lay aside all filthiness 
the overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. Key here is both the description James gives of how we are to receive the Word and, and how he describes the Word itself. It, he says you receive it with meekness. Receive it with humility. He describes a person who has a teachable spirit. He said number of times. I think God blesses. We, we look for people, whether we hire them, the church, the school, or where it is. You can learn how to play the position. You can increase in skills, but there are two things that we look for. Somebody who's teachable and somebody who's humble. If you have somebody who has a teachable spirit and somebody who's not proud, well, you can do anything with them. You can have... I mean, look at an NFL team. Look at, look at sports teams. Look at how much talent a team can have on it, and yet if you have an arrogant person, a big personality that's part of it, no matter how much talent in the world that you have. And so he says here that you receive the word with meekness. Receive with meekness, with humility. It's really like a summary statement. It's a, it's a person who has humility when it comes to receiving the word, accepts its position of authority, looks to it for its, for its source of... A power. If you want to hear and understand God's Word, you, you stand under it. You don't raise yourself above it. At the uh, Sermon on the Mount, we typically see the pictures um, of Jesus standing in a great crowd of people down below Him, but... But in those days, a teacher would actually sit, take the seat of Moses. If you went into a Jewish synagogue, they would sit whenever they would teach. They don't stand. This is cultural. There's a lot of symbolism here. The pulpit is in the center of the church. All the eyes are directed towards the pulpit. Here's the Word of God. And what we are declaring, we're not like a Methodist church. We don't have the pulpit off to the side over here and the Lord's table being at the center. Because this is where the grace of God comes from. We understand that it's the, it's the Word that's central. Because God speaks from the Word. It's, it's sola scriptura. It's, it's the Scripture alone. And so we're saying that our, our services are centered around the Word because the Word reveals Christ. It's not about a um, you know, Catholic altar where Jesus is re-sacrificed every time. It's not even a blending to that. The Word and the, the Lord's table. It's... It's the pulpit. There's some symbolism here. But if you were in a Jewish synagogue, there was also symbolism going on there. The, 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 the teacher would take a seat, and it was called the, the chair of Moses or the seat of Moses. And what he was saying symbolically is, what I am saying to you, I am also under. He would sit under the Word. He'd say that I am, I am coming under what, what I am proclaiming to you. I don't think that's a good illustration for what he's saying here with receive the word with meekness or humility. If you want to hear and understand, if you want to receive God's word, you you come under it, you stand under it. You don't raise yourself above it. It's a humble heart. It's almost 
It's like an oxymoron, or should be, to be to proudfully read the Bible. I mean, how do you how do you how do you read the gospel, the grace of God, with pride? And that's how wicked we are. It's able to do that. Now, I want you to notice what he says here. What he calls it, the adjective, the implanted word. You receive it with the attitude of meekness. And he describes the word. It's implanted. The word is defined as, as implanted, and it's implanted word, which is able to save your souls. It's the implanted word. It's the word that's already inside. It's in a, the position of authority. It's the instrument God uses to change a believer. Look back at verse 19. Is he talking to believers or unbelievers here? Well, look at verse 18. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. What's he talking about then? He, he would, we're begotten by the word. He's talking about salvation. So at one point, you were unsaved, and the word was used to transform you. That you might be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. So that's salvation. He's talking about prior to salvation. Look at verse 19. So then, and what's the terminology that he uses for the people there? My beloved brethren. He's talking to Christians. So how, what, I mean, what does he mean by Christians? That you receive the word, Christians, that's able to save your souls. I thought a Christian was already saved. Well, you are. But as you've heard before, I'm sure, that we've already been begotten by the word and we're beloved brethren. And there are times when the Bible speaks of salvation. It does so past, present, and future. You were saved. You are being saved, and you will be saved. Now, that doesn't mean that your salvation is in a state of flux. You were saved from the penalty of sin that's secure at the moment of regeneration, the moment that you're born again. The penalty of sin is dealt with. But then you're being saved from the power of sin. Sanctification takes hold in your life. I mean, you didn't get up from praying and being transformed by the power of Christ and all of the things in your life fixed, right? A process started then. But it started because you were born again. Then the process takes place. What is it that works in our life to transform us? What works in our lives? What, what instrument does God use to, to save us from the power of sin, to sanctify us? It's the Word. And then ultimately we will be saved, right? We're going to shed this vile body. We're going to be transformed. We're going to be redeemed. And it's going to be a glorious day. James doesn't mean here receiving the Word for the first time is able to save your souls. He's already addressed them as beloved brethren. He says this engrafted or implanted Word. It's a Word by which... A believer is sanctified and changed, and he's moved toward complete redemption when he'll be changed into the likeness of the Lord. And he keeps going, and I won't. But in verse 22, after you learn how to approach the Word properly, after you prepare your heart, after you remove the hindrances, after you have that proper approach of 
of humbly getting under it. Once your heart's ready to receive it, then then you need to act on what you hear, and that's a whole other sermon, isn't it? Be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Once you hear it, then you do it. Or if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Have you ever been driving down the road and you've got a, a phone number on your phone and it's on a different screen? And you look up that phone number, you look up that phone number, and then you've got to go to a different screen and dial it. So you have to remember what that phone number is. You know what I'm talking about? And you, you go, okay, um, uh, 385-8898, 385-8898, 385-8898. I just keep repeating it over and over until I get over to the other screen so I can dial it in. Okay, 385-8898. It has the idea here that when you look into the Word, you come to a sermon, and your heart's prepared, there's no hindrances there, the water is flowing freely, and God speaks, and you look into the mirror of the Word, and God shows you who He is and who you are. You get the phone number... And then you turn away and you completely forget what you just saw. Satan's involved in that too. The parable of the sower talks about the the uh, the wicked one coming, stealing the word. He does that in numbers in a number of, of ways. Here the warning is whenever you hear when God speaks, when God lays something before you, do it. Don't walk away because you'll forget the phone number. And if you forget the phone number, you can't dial it. And you can't get who's on the other end. Sinners need the Word so they can be saved. Christians need the Word to be changed. And the way that we prepare hearts can be the matter between having that water flow freely or these hindrances. So you bow your heads. Let's pray together. I don't know, maybe maybe there was a helpful nugget in there for you. Maybe you've I've been approaching the Bible or a, the Word with eagerness. Maybe it's become dull. I'd say the first place I would I would check is is moral filth. Something that may have crept in something that's siphoning a hole in the in the water line. And I just say that because we do live in a perverse world. Um, and then after that I would just practice these things before I approach a, approach the word or, or a message. I would just I'd memorize these verses. I would say, Lord, help me to be swift to hear. Help me to be slow to speak. Help me not to resent whatever it is that you say because I want your righteousness to work in my life. I don't want to be proud. I don't want to lack humility. I want to listen to your word. I want to speak. I want to receive it. There's an area of your life that God's spoken to you through the Word and you refuse to hear. 
and arguing with God, uh, surrender, before it turns to resentment.